Hello. I'm going to be reading in Acts chapter 13, 1 through 12. Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, and close, a close friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. Arriving in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. When they had traveled the whole island as far as the Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas and sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elymas and said, You're full of kind and kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil, an enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight past of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist of darkness fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then when he saw what happened, the proconsul believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Good job, guys. Can you hold on to this one? Yeah, good job, Gray. And uh, Gray is one of our brothers. I think I can say this. Well, hopefully. He's going to be baptized in uh, two weeks. Yeah. So Gray read Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 12. And today, I, I want to try at least to talk to our seniors But as I'm doing that, I hope to talk to us as a church, as a church family. And really starting with two questions. Uh, We sang about it. This passage talks explicitly about it. Uh, What does it mean, first, what does it mean to be sent by the Spirit? Because that's what happens here. And then secondly, what does it mean to be a sending church? And that's what happens here. First and foremost, and I I really could just say this and and we could close it out, end it, but I've got more to say. Uh, Maybe that's fortunately or unfortunately for you. But first, it just means that, man, your life, every life in here has great meaning and purpose and a destiny that that is good. Uh, This is not just my opinion. It's not an opinion of the culture. It is is biblical. I'll throw some of my favorite verses uh, up here. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Jesus' last words before he ascended, Acts 1, 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, 
to the end of the earth. If we are Christians, uh, that applies to us just as it did to the 70 or so that were gathered around him at his ascension. God has plans for us. We are called to go out uh, to be his witnesses. And then, as I said at the beginning of the sermon, there are things that are going to happen in life, trials, challenges. And some can be very negative in this life. And I cling to Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. If you're a Christian, you are to love God. If you're a Christian, you are called to his plans and his purposes. And as I said earlier, it's all good. It's all going to be good. That verse. I'm saying no accents in Christianity. And then another one of my favorite verses, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship. You seniors that were up here, you are his workmanship. Everybody in this church family, you are his workmanship. Everyone in the family of Christ from other churches, you're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. God has a plan, and it's all been planned out, and it is a destiny, it is a purpose, it is meaning, and it is good. I mean, that's the first thing to know about being sent by the Spirit. Because sometimes if you feel sent and you don't know necessarily where you're going, uh, you question that, you're scared of that. We may not admit it. Um, you have doubts about that. And that's why it's so important to, to cling to Scripture, to God's Word, uh, to what He has done in us through Christ Jesus and in us now. And I also think that the church, one of the big roles of every local church, not just this one, but should be to help you, God's people, discover those gifts and works in Ephesians 2.10. That means presenting opportunities for you to serve children, youth, missions, uh, but also to just discover who you are in the Lord, how God has made you, where you are going, whether it is college, whether it is a career in academics or athletics or the arts, what you can do for Christ as a businessman, as a politician, yes, that too, as a doctor, as attorneys in your field of work. One of my big passions is influencing culture, and that doesn't just happen by like me or a word, but by people going out into culture and being witnesses. Witnesses doesn't always mean going to the ends of the earth. Sometimes it does. But it can just mean going into your, your business, going to your neighbor as a witness for Christ. So being sent by the Spirit and being a sin in church, that's some of those verses, that's, that's really what it comes down to. But I want us to key in on this, this passage because we see believers, brothers, being sent by the Spirit and we see ascending church. So before I talk about the here and now us, I want to talk about them and then in Antioch and, and what we can learn from this church and these, these brothers who are sent out and who go out. So it says this is the church in Antioch and we've been talking about the church in Antioch really for a couple weeks because Acts promotes it a lot. It was really, as I've said before, uh, the most or the first and the most multi-ethnic church because Antioch, you had a lot of people from a lot of different con- countries, not only in the Middle East, but India, China. Africa. And so Antioch was this multi-ethnic church in a very big city. It was the third biggest city 
in the world at that time, which is about 500,000. And here it highlights that there were prophets and teachers, and it names five. Uh, Barnabas, we've talked about Barnabas. Many of you know about Barnabas. He was known as an encourager. And I, I highlight that over and over again because I, I really believe that every conversation, every conversation uh, you ever have in life can be broken down in one or two ways. Is it encouraging or is it not encouraging? And those can be tough conversations. Those can be conversations in the midst of conflict. Is it encouraging or not? Are you encouraging or not? Are you encouraging here or not? Two brothers and sisters. Not just members. It can be to elders. It can be to deacons, church staff. Are we an encouraging body? I hope so. I hope we grow as it more. Simeon. You know, interesting, this guy Simeon, who was called uh, Niger, they believe that this dude, you learn new things every week. I learned this. They think this dude, Simeon, was actually Simon of Cyrene who carried Jesus' cross. Simon of Cyrene talks about him uh, in the Gospels who picked up the cross when Jesus took it. Uh, Also, he was from Africa, and so you have diversity there. Lucius of Cyrene, also Cyrene, was Libya. So you have an African and multi-ethnic leadership there. And then, this is interesting, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, uh, Menean, all these easy names here, Menean, and he was a close friend of this guy, Herod, who Jesus called a fox, Luke 13, 32. And this dude was converted right, you know, in the midst around Herod. And then you have Saul. And a little information about Saul. This pertains a lot to some of you like, well, man, I got gifts. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where God's calling me. Well, Saul, okay, was converted as a Christian to be a Christian in about 33 A.D. Then we know from the history he spent three years in like the desert in Arabia, wilderness years. Then he spent 10 years in these places, Cilicia and uh, what is present-day Syria. So you got 13 years there after Saul was converted that God was preparing him. So often seasons in our life are preparatory seasons for something else. Actually, they really all are. They're preparing us for heaven. But you may be in this season where God is preparing you, and it may be a lot longer than you want. I've been there. Trust me, okay? Be patient. So, something else about this church. Before they were sent out, look what they were doing. They were worshiping and fasting. So, ask this of us. Ask this of me. How, how much do we truly worship and fast? Um, I worship a fair bit. Fasting, not so much, okay? Everybody know what fasting is? It's like going without, okay? And uh, my, I've talked about this, preached on this. The seven deadly sins... Uh, Gluttony is my weak spot. Uh, And it's not just eating, but desiring things. You can fast. You can fast from a lot of different things and food. This church was worshiping and fasting. And then the Spirit said, I really don't want you to miss this. I really don't want you to blow it off. I really don't want you to think it's like too churchy at all. Worshiping and fasting. Uh, And worshiping is not just, I mean, it's not just about the songs that we sing here. I do believe it's the spirit of your life. Uh, It's not just about Sunday. Uh, are we cultivating a life of worship? Yes, both here, but also for you. Are you helping cultivate a life of worship just in your life? People that you can influence? And yes, as to convict me, to convict us. How often do we fast? I have fasted before. I do hear the Holy Spirit uh, more and more when I fast. I was in October with a, a coach that I have, and uh, he was talking about some situations, man, you just, you just 
pray and fast and get on your knees. And that's, that's the answer. It was a hard situation to ask advice on. He's like, man, just get on your knees and pray and fast. Easy yet, uh, yet challenging. But I do hear the Holy Spirit more when I fast. I, I would collectively ask you to consider fasting in some ways. I'm not talking about all the time. But I'm talking about to cultivate that life of worship and fasting, particularly if you're facing this, this big challenge, this big trial in your life. And, I, man, I don't like to be like, I know that sounds churchy. I don't like to be churchy. I don't, you know, I don't like this, this place to be known in terms of its churchiness, but it is, it is clear in the Bible. So after that, they're worshiping and fasting. Then they hear the Lord say, set apart for me two of these five. So the Spirit, it's clear, has set apart Barnabas and Saul. And even after the Spirit speaks, they still, uh, probably leaders, probably leaders other than these five, they fast some more, they pray some more, and they laid hands on them, and they were sent off. Two of the best, two of the Fab Five of Antioch, for lack of a better term, were sent off into the mission field to, and Paul, Saul, Willby Paul goes on to plant, uh, be the greatest church planner in, in church history. Barnabas encouraging him. So they go. Uh, and we'll see them continue to go in Acts. But they first, it says they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They, they keep emphasizing this. This sending by the Spirit, sent by the Spirit. It doesn't say so they were sent by the church. It doesn't say they were sent by the leaders. That they were sent by the Spirit. The Spirit of God speaks. I think, the, I believe the Spirit of God is always in the sending business. First, he's sending us to Christ, whether we realize it or not. And then when we become converted, when we are a Christian, he is working to send us to our neighbors, to buddies at school, to people we work with. He is in the sending business. Very passionate about that. And because some folks just think, you know, life is a humdrum or like, you know, life is about, you know, making, you know, as much as you can. I do believe God provides, but as a Christian, he, the Spirit is in the sending business. So they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went to this town, Seleucia, and then they sailed to Cyprus, the island of Cyprus. They arrived, the city Salamis. They proclaimed, look at this, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, those who clung to uh, the Old Covenant, uh, what we know as the Old Testament. And they were raising leaders. They had John as their assistant. This is John who was known as John Mark and who wrote the Gospel of Mark. So uh, young John Mark, going with him, who was not mentioned in that original five, but they took him with him. They said, we need to train leaders. We need to shape leaders. We need to raise leaders. Uh, Come on, dude, let's go. And he went. So then they meet two men. And I hope to probably get get these names wrong, but Elimus and Sergius, okay, big names, but it's the type of people that were that is important here. They meet these two guys. Elimus was, he's called a sorcerer, a sorcerer, and, and Paul confronts him and says, you're, you're perverting the straight paths of the Lord. Uh, I read that over and over again this week, and it, it definitely, it sounds like, you know, a, a churchy phrase, and the straight path of the Lord, it goes back. They taught, uh, the scriptures write that about John the Baptist. That was what he was saying, the straight path. So I believe Paul knew this. He said, you're perverting these straight paths of the Lord. You're a sorcerer. And Paul, you know, ended up by the Spirit, caused him to be blind. 
for a time. And then this dude, Sergius. So it's interesting because he was like the most powerful person on the island, politically. He was, uh, Roman Empire controlled everything. And so he was like the point person, the leader of the Roman Empire on the island at that time. Number one guy. Everybody reported to him. So, of course, Satan would not want an influential person to be converted because then that is a person of high capacity and influence in the island. And we know this through history. I mean, if if you're a history geek like me, I mean, the Roman Empire fell because of the rise of Christianity and the church. And you saw, just we saw earlier, all these people in power, there were people being converted around them. The guy next to Herod, his buddy. And then here, this pro-council, this you know, this big wig in the Roman Empire becomes a Christian. And I think that's a huge lesson for us, too. I think with some people, and this is particularly big for you seniors going out, but also, I mean, youth, it's for anybody. There's some people that you come across in life that we have to stand against, the Elamuses. And there's some people that you have to help see Jesus through your life, through knowing him, knowing God's word. Because it ends, Sergius was converted, says he believed. When he saw what happened with his eyes, he saw Jesus through them, he believed, because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So he also heard about Jesus. So there's some, there are some people that we stand up to, some people that we help see Jesus. So that's this passage, and that, that's good. It's, it's, it's the Bible, it's... it's it's great. But how do, we, how do we move that here? Those things there, here. I mean, what does it speak to us for today? What can it say? I think it says, I, I think it says many things, but five that, that the Lord showed me was first. First, every, I believe every church. But a church should seek Diversity. In its, in its congregation, in its membership. I mean, here you've got this church, and again, it was, a, it was a very diverse city. You had people from all over, really, the world, the known world coming there. It was highly diverse. You had uh, multi-ethnic leaders uh, from Africa, from the Middle East. But I really believe this. Churches should seek. Now, you may not always see it, okay? Because you hear diversity, and we always think racially. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about uh, culturally, socioeconomically. I'm talking about love the other person. I'm talking about John 10, 16. I'm talking about uh, love your neighbor. I'm talking about these neighborhoods right here, right here. That we should seek diversity. That the church should be this supernatural community sent by the Spirit, entire church, into cities, into communities, small towns, big cities, to serve the city, to be something, to be the light for Christ, light on this corner that people can see. People who had no reason and, and no agenda hanging out, and yet they hang out and they eat together and uh, drink together and fellowship together and love one another. That's what the church is, is to be. And so I think, I think it's very, very tough in our human nature. Why is that? Because we want to hang out with people like us. The Bible, it's not my opinion. It's not, it's not some philosophy or not some agenda. It's just you go to the Bible and you see this over and over again, Paul's letters. Every church should seek diversity. And yes, racially too. Hunter and I were talking this week, Hunter, Hunter Poole, our student pastor, you know, about 
um, African-American leadership, Hispanic leadership, how we cultivate that here. Because out here, it's, it's there. If we're going to reflect these neighborhoods, this community, you know, we need to take steps, and there are steps. It doesn't always happen overnight, but we should seek it. Second thing this passage says to us, churches should shape leaders always. I mean, coming full circle since we began, I mean, day one, raising leaders. And just want to continue doing that, but really begin emphasizing that more and more, raising leaders. I think about that uh, with seniors that have gone on to college. I think about seniors from today. You know, do we shape them? How can we shape them better? Shaping leaders, helping them, as I said earlier, discover the gifts God's given. And, and they will... You know, y'all will go out and, and discover even more and more past Bellwether Church or better than Bellwether Church. That's what I'm talking about. But in the time that we have, and even if you're not a student, even if, if you're just, you know, an adult and you're like, hey, I got roots in Jackson, you know, shaping you. There, there are three big passions I have uh, in, in ministry, okay? Uh, and I, you could look at our values and that's really what they are, see, love, go. But seeing, I call that a biblical worldview. I call that when Paul's saying you're perverting the straight path of the Lord. A biblical worldview, like seeing the world different, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's positive. It's not like negative, okay? It doesn't constrict or restrict you. It actually gives you wings to go out. It's the, the life God intended for you. Uh, loving others, those who are different, those who are in the shadows, those who are unpopular. And then going out into the world, influence and culture. We have tons of influencers within our congregation. All of y'all are influencers. Two neighbors, two businesses, two schools, two sports teams. Shaping leaders. The church has to do that. Shaping leaders, you know, in, in leadership that you see up here. From worship to, uh, to women in leadership, to people who are serving as deacons, even and I'm very passionate about this too. Special needs kids. Front, front cover of Christianity Today, one of the most well-known uh, Christian magazines in publication, was how the church can engage and shape special needs kids as leaders, serving, going, seeking diversity, shaping leaders. And then another one, churches, I believe this, all churches, and this one's going to be tough. All churches should send out their best. They should send out their best to do ministry. Did you see that here? Saul, who became Paul, was, he was pretty good. And Barnabas, and they sent two of their best out to be on mission, to plant churches, to raise the kingdom. And more and more as I'm in conversations with pastors, uh, both in the city um, and all over the country, uh, they're talking more and more about church planting, about creating networks of church plants uh, in a city, in a state, in a region. And so I say that. I mean, we need to even more send out our best. I think that happens in missions. I think it could be a short-term mission trip, uh, Honduras, uh, longer-term mission, uh, India, feeling called. Uh, I want to see this in Bellwether's future, sending out to plant more churches, that can be you, and that can be me. I know I'm always excluded from, like, the best, 
But uh, it can be me too. And you do that because when you see a big God, you're like, God provides. It's all going to be good. It's all going to be good. So raising up leaders, not just, to, um, not just to gather and gather and gather and gather, but to scatter and scatter and scatter and scatter for the world, for the kingdom. Sending. And then last two, real quick. Um, and it goes back to these two guys that they met here. Elimus, Sergius. Sometimes the church has to take a stand. Has to take a stand. And I, I say this. It happened there in Scripture. Paul took a stand. You're perverting the straight past the Lord. But let me really emphasize this. Take a stand that, that is positive. Often we think about taking a stand, and, and the culture around us see it, sees it as a big negative. But saying it's a positive, like showing people, like, no, this is, this is the way to, like, the best life. Like, the real best life now, the legit best life now in Christ. Knowing the Bible, learning the Bible, how it speaks in your life eternally. For your careers, before a next career as a pastor or church planner, maybe as a, a new mission. But like, I just trust and obey Jesus. As churchy as that sounds, and it's a great hymn too, but I trust and obey Jesus. And sometimes you have to take a stand and say, no, we're, we're, not, we're not of this world as a Christian. We're, we're not of this culture. We're going to love this culture. We're going to embrace this culture in love. But we're different as Christians. That is the truth. That's the biblical truth. That's church truth. And we don't need to make it a negative. We make it as a positive. Like, we love people. We love everyone. We want everyone to know Jesus. That's why we love. And even if someone were to tell me, well, I refuse Jesus, I refute Jesus, or I, man, I don't love you anyway. And go to the, I mean, man, heart for evangelism. That's, talk about passions today. That's a big one for me. And you, you seniors going out, you're going to begin to have more and more evangelism opportunities in that you're going to come across um, both multi-ethnic and multi-religious and no religious. I mean, more and more people now, surveys show it, you know, that instead of being like non-denominational, they are just non-Christian and saying that, you know, we're just, they're just more and more open to saying I'm an atheist. An atheist. Atheists don't even believe in God. Agnostic, at least they believe in God at the starting point. It's more and more and these church, we, all churches need to be light, saying, man, we, we love you because Jesus loves you and because Jesus loved me and gave his life for me that we can, we can go out. And it is an adventure, and it's positive. And in doing so, we help others see Jesus. I, I love these, I mean, I love the example of these two guys. One, there's a stand, and the other he helps him see Jesus. I mean, Paul is obviously not Jesus because it closed that. I love this, it says, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The Lord's Jesus. He saw Jesus. He stopped seeing Paul or any pastor or preacher. He just was astonished at the teaching of the Lord, the Lord's teaching. Now, there's a lot, there's a ton for the church to, to learn in the example of Acts. Seeking diversity, shaping laser, sending our best, standing and helping people see the Lord, the Lord. And then the last thing, and really most important, is why. Why does all this even matter? I mean, a lot of you, maybe your members are crazy, like, I know why it matters, but some of you are like, okay, you know, so what? Three things. One, because you matter. I mean, every, every, everybody in here, 
You, and I say this, like, yeah, I got that. No, you don't. Some of you don't. Like, you matter to God. You, you matter uh, to, oh, Lord, just put this on me. I read it this morning, and uh, it's a verse. Sorry, I got to read this. Hebrews 11. It was in our reading this morning, if you read 11.3. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. You matter to him. You matter. Who created the universe, all things. And he knows you intimately, personally. You matter. Second, why, so what? Is There are others out there. There are others here and there are others out there. There are others who are hurting and hollow. They're hurting because what life has done to them, uh, damage. And so they're hurting. You may be hearing you're hurting now. And there are others who are hollow. When I mean hollow, I mean like there's just a void in life. They're like, I don't know my place in life. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing in this job. I don't know. I mean, yippee I'm going to college. But, man, I'm, I still feel hollow. I'm not saying that's about y'all, but I know some seniors care in that. And so we still need to be lights going out sent by the Spirit to embrace, to love. That's the why, everybody. You matter to God, and so if you matter to God, you should matter to me and you and us and to show that. And I could end right there, and you really, you could probably uh, piece and mix those to some messages that the culture sends you, but I'm not going to stop there. Most importantly, most important about the message, most important about sent by the Spirit is Jesus is Jesus, because you matter to God, others should matter to us, but Jesus Christ, the way of Jesus, he said, I am the way, the truth, and life, the way of Jesus is to the cross, he walked to the cross, he bled to the cross, he dropped his cross, some dude picked it up, became a leader in the church. The way of Jesus to the cross. And so when you say, Jesus, whatever, whenever, wherever, he's going to say, my way is the cross. We have to carry our cross, the Bible says. We have to crucify the flesh and its passions. The way of Jesus is the cross. The work of Jesus that happened. Why we, why we should always celebrate, why all this is good news, why it will all be good. The work of all that happened on the cross. And so it begins and it never ends the way of Jesus on the cross. All the other stuff can help you feel good, but it it starts and it never ends knowing the way of Christ on the cross. What he did for you, for me, for us, what he calls us to. Because that call can be sometimes not what we want. The sending, the seeking, the shaping, crucify yourself. I'm going to just close with a couple songs. It really is an invitation. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is shifting sand. I want my kids to know that. It is a, I want seniors to know that. All other ground is shifting sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. And one I've grown to love recently, I've been listening to it over and over again, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And the things of earth will, go, will go, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Is that happening to you? I, I pray it happens to me more and more. 
Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing in life, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. A new version has it like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I, this is harder, I want to grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It is about surrender, and when you surrender, that's when it really is all good and truly good and say, whenever, wherever, whatever, Jesus. And sometimes he'll take you to seasons of patience, but that willingness, that saying, I want to go the way of Jesus to the cross because of your work on the cross for me. We're going to have an opportunity to do that now as we close. We're going to invite you to communion. I'm going to say a prayer, but uh, we're going to put the cross down here in front. Uh, You don't have to do anything. You don't have to nail anything, drop anything. I just want you, if you are, we invite you to take communion, but if you're willing to take communion, I want you coming down the aisle, and it's open, no usher, so go uh, come as you are whenever you want. I just want you to see the cross first. The way of Jesus, the path of Jesus leads to that cross. What needs to be crucified in your life? You know, like, again, you don't have to nail anything today. You don't have to drive. But what needs to be crucified in your life? What do the flesh needs to be crucified? Remember, the way of Jesus for you is the cross. So we invite you to communion, invite you to gaze at the cross. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.